A noiseless roar, a thrust into nothingness, and a gleaming metal arrow is hurled towards the heart of the Andromeda Swarm. And if three billion souls far below knew the Avengers' goal, their star-cursed mission, even the atheist among them would slowly bend a trembling knee. Out past Mars, where Mariner 4 has already probed, beyond Jupiter with moons enough to stud its own solar system, finally past cold, barren Pluto, and toward a taunting, deadly star, all at speeds beyond speech, into space which is not space. But always memories of three friends held hostage by the scroll in the Andromeda Galaxy, of the battle with the Inhumans, unwilling allies in the scroll's rivals, the Kree, of the capture of Rick Jones by Kree men fleeing to their homeworld, and of H. Warren Craddock baying eternally at the harried heels, he who has named the Avengers traitors and sworn to hound them till he dies. And it would take a pristine Pollyanna indeed to smile at that which greets Avengers' eyes on space radar. As their craft emerges from the non-existence of hyperspace, a seemingly numberless multitude of electronic blips, flickering harbingers of a vast flotilla of fearfully alien vessels, the Imperial Armada of the sinister star-devouring scroll. Welcome to Artifacts Infinity, where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson. And I'm Everett Christensen. This is episode 12, and today is part 3 and the finale of our Kree Scroll War coverage, the entirety of which covers Avengers Volumes 1, number 89 through 97. We will be covering 95 through 97 today. We suggest you listen to the first two parts of the coverage before this episode. However, this story touches on essentially the entirety of our coverage to date in one fashion or another. This is it. It's happening. I don't know what else to say. <sighs> Chapter 7, Avengers 95, Something Inhuman This Way Comes. It's written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Neil Adams, inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by Sam Rosen, edited by Stan Lee, with a cover by Neil Adams and Tom Palmer. On the cover, in the foreground, an impressive-looking red-and-gold figure, who we will learn to be Maximus of the Inhumans, holds a collapsed Captain America while a colorful cast of creatures grapples with the struggling Thor and Vision in the background. The caption reads, You've broken into the great refuge, fools. Now let's see you break out again, alive! Roy Thomas and Neil Adams love these full-page openers, and this one is an absolute gem. We have Triton stepping out of the befouled New York waters, climbing onto a dock. Triton, who you may remember from our earlier coverage, is a green-scaled inhuman from the hidden city of Adelan. He's also stunningly rendered here as the water drips down his thick, scaled frame. On the next page, we get a 12-panel grid without dialogue of Triton sneaking through the docks, getting spotted by angry civilians, running from them, knocking a tower of boxes onto them, stealing a van, getting spotted by the cops, shot at, and then hiding in a manhole. It's a fast and fascinating sequence. Triton exits near Avengers Manor, where Captain America, Thor, Goliath, and the Vision are battling the mandroids that we covered last episode. 
The Mandroids, giant armored military types, are being commanded by G.W. Craddock, or G-Dubs as I like to call him. He's in command center on video chat with Nick Fury and is astounded when Iron Man disables the Mandroids. An easy enough feat since he designed them as Tony Stark. It's a shame the Mandroid fight lulls in such an anti-climax, but the clash was stitched up in a single panel. Tony uses Trenton to cover for his insider advantage, turning their attention to the wounded Inhuman, who explains that Maximus the Mad has gained telepathy, erased his brother's memory, and taken over Adeline. The founders want to go to help, but Vision votes no. The Vision reminds everyone of the ongoing war between the Kree and the Skrull, of Captain Marvel, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch whisked away to the Andromeda Galaxy. Tony wants to help the Inhumans, so it seems the best thing to do is split the party for this one. Don't you read Die, You Fool? Never split the party! Cap lets Vision pick his own teams, so Cap, Goliath, and Rick are going to find Black Bolt, while Thor, Iron Man, and the Vision are going to space. Well, it's been 15 minutes, so of course it's time for another round of Vision being emo. He's racked by guilt over possibly dooming the expedition to San Francisco by taking the most powerful Avengers. He worries that he's doomed the Inhumans because he's in love with the Scarlet Witch, and completely ignores the part of his own argument where there's this interstellar war with potential casualties in the billions or more, you know, that he's trying to also stop. Nah, going too into a war zone like that, it's selfish, clearly. So, we transition to San Francisco, where some ruffians are accosting Black Bolt and Joey. Black Bolt takes out one of the goons, but they get their hands on the boy and hold him at gunpoint. Just in time, however, Cap shows up and saves the lad with a signature boomeranging shield toss. Once the danger is passed, the Avengers speed back to Adelan for a matter of life and death. Once aboard the Quinjet, Black Agar Boltagon meanders into remembrance. Apparently, in years past, Maximus had struck a deal with the star-spanning Kree to rule the planet, and, when discovered by his brother, got into a fight with Black Bolt that ended him unleashing his astounding vocal might. This led to a chain reaction, his brother's frenzied response disrupting the Kree spaceship and sending it hurtling to the palace where the crash killed their parents. And apparently, this is what turned Maximus into the Mad? I mean, not the murder plot and taking over the Inhumans, but Black Agar accidentally being kinda tied to his parents' death? It's a very strange sequence, and an odd way of framing the Inhumans. No, no. Regicide is fine as long as, you know, you're a part of the royal family. It's when accidents happen and commoners kill royals that, uh, you know, that drives princes mad. Anyway... Back on the East Coast, the three Avengers finish up with the Mandroids, just in time for the Vision to change his mind about the entire endeavor. He asks Thor to set them to help the Inhumans, and thus the God of Thunder teleports them all to the negative barrier outside of Atalan. None of their vaunted powers help them get through the inky Black Dome, however, before Black Bolt, Triton, and the rest of the Avengers arrive. The caption reads, Next, amid snow-peaked grandeur, a moment of portentous silence, a weighing of chances and of Earth's fate, and now, the word. The single whispered syllable, which grows into a whine, a shout, 
an incessant world-shaking roar that makes the mountains tremble, till the great black dome, I, that self-same demiglove, which withstood and absorbed the scroll-sent nuclear blast, shudders into night-dark shards, like some fragile eggshell, to reveal, and there are a legion of Inhumans arrayed against their king and the Avengers looking to kill. Before the battle is well joined, however, a single whisper from Black Bolt quells the entire crowd and wakes them up from Maximus's mental control. The Avengers burst in on the Kree and Maximus, who are handily dispatched, but not before Rick Jones is stolen by the Kree. Maximus is defeated, but Black Bolt still bears the scars of both his own actions and his brother's betrayal. But with Rick Jones captured, we get a panel of the Kree Supreme Intelligence saying, The players are all in place. Let the final phase begin. This brings us to Chapter 8, Avengers 96, The Andromeda Swarm. Written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Neil Adams, inked by Tom Palmer, Neil Adams, and Alan Weiss. Lettered by Sam Rosen. Edited by Stan Lee. Cover by Neil Adams. We see the Vision brutally bludgeoning an unrecognizable alien in the foreground with his fists, while Cap, Iron Man, and Thor race towards him from the background, trying to stop the android from beating the alien to death. I'd like to draw particular attention to the Vision's eyes that glow with fell and malicious intent, as well as the motion of both his cloaks and his fist. If the rest of the cover is uninteresting, Neil Adams has put all his effort into selling the raw aggression and pathos of the Vision. We begin with a Quinjet landing on what appears to be an airbase in space. This panel seems to just be an error, as we learn it's the S.H.I.E.L.D. space base, most famous being repurposed by world-renowned super-doctor astronaut Peter Corbeau. There, the Avengers meet up with Nick Fury, who gives them a ship to intercept the Skrull Armada. Just as an aside, there's been this running gag of Tony always trying to blab about the Vision's crush on Wanda, and people just cutting him off and interrupting him really willfully. It's awkward and great. So hey, I've got this hunch about the vision where he just kinda... Oh my god, look at that! It's Count Nefaria! Didn't he defeat the entire Avengers at once? I'd better go, man. Like, it's getting uh, late, and we've got a Nefaria to fight. Uh, can't talk right now, bye! <laughs> That's very good. It isn't long before they get to the Scroll Armada, and the alien radar picks them up as a single vessel. But when the scrolls look outside of their ship, there appear to be dozens of ships on the visual. It has to be a trick or a trap. To the end of investigating, the scroll flagship sallies forth singularly. The Avengers suspect that if they can defeat it, the rest may flee. So they launch fighter craft forth to this stirring caption. Four ships, five streaking forms, darting into the dark in the deep. No trumpets hawk them forth to battle. No slightest sound echoes in the near vacuum of space. Yet true heroes need no alarms. No piping from the pipes or rolling of the drums. Only a cause to believe in, such as freedom, nay, life itself, to a world still young enough to cherish ideals. So begins the space combat where Iron Man thirst poses aggressively at the scroll. Thor and the Vision open up by sundering the Skrull flagship's hull and boarding the Avengers directly. No amount of photon fire can stay them as they battle their way to the bridge. They burst down the door and Thor pronounces, List ye heralds of hatred and holocaust. 
We four be but the meekest harbingers of those who follow. Turn back thine armada, or face the wrath of an earth aroused. We have spoken. The Commandant knows better, and he is ready to throw down when the Scroll Emperor space-times in to gloat over Marvel constructing the Omniwave Projector for their dastardly aims. Marvel has agreed to this to save the lives of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, but when the Emperor orders the guards to bring Captain Marvel over, it's just a hologram. The Captain has used the Omniwave to cast an image of himself and has used the moment to ambush his guards from behind. He wakes up Wanda and Pietro, and the Emperor just freaks out. His final message, execute Plan Delta. The Avengers need to know what the plan is, so they grab the Commandant, who dares not reveal the coordinates under pain of death. But Vision assures him that if he doesn't tell, death is certain. Then just starts taking the scroll apart, punch by punch. Tony tries to stop him, but the Vision just replies, Another correction, Iron Man. My brain is a miniaturized high-speed computer. I always know precisely what I am doing. I am killing him. And this absolutely made me think of the Star Trek Next Generation episode Descent Part 1, where Data gets angry while killing a Borg. It's creepy. The battered and beaten Skrull is narrowly saved by Thor and Iron Man pulling the Vision away. He speaks that a miniature craft has left the mothership with a nuke to end all life on planet Earth. Clint Barton is the only Avenger left in a fighter craft, and so it's up to Leather Daddy to save the Earth. He manages to board the ship, but after that, he's out of ideas. We cut at this point to the Kree Empire, where Ronan is happily chewing the scenery, when his men bring him Rick Jones. Ronan recognizes him from the events of Episode 10, Avengers 90 and 91, Rick Jones grabs one of his captor's weapons and assaults Ronan, but the device just breaks against the Supremer's armor. Ronan then launches into the standard monologuing about how the Kree will secure the Earth or destroy it as it represents a strategic midway point between the two races. Earth is doomed, blah blah blah. It's all standard fare. But what isn't standard is Rick Jones getting dropped off with the Kree Supreme Intelligence. Rick and the Intelligence have this conversation where it's revealed that the telepathic control of the Supreme Intelligence has been responsible for any number of coincidences. The caveman transformed technicians going to Craddock, the telepathic vision from Marvell Rick Jones had in the courtroom, Marvell's capture by the Super Scroll, and Rick Jones' own abduction. The final twist in this convoluted plan is about to be revealed as the Supreme Intelligence bets the fate of worlds without end on the survival of one Rick Jones and hurdles the sidekick back, back into the negative zone. And now the very Your Mileage May Vary grand finale, Chapter 9, Avengers 97, Godhood's End. This was written by Roy Thomas, Penciled by John Buscema, inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by Sam Rosen, edited by Stan Lee, with a cover by Gil Kane and Bill Everett. This is probably the best cover of the trio. The pencils by Bill Kane and Bill Everett do a lot to contribute to the classic style of the heroes that leap from the page. It's a roster of the Golden Age with Cap, Namor, and Jim Hammond Torch being backed up by Blazing Skull, Patriot, The Vision, and The Finn. Rick Jones stands behind them. Rick Jones stands behind them all, glowing with some unknown power. 
We open with another full-page spread, this time in the negative zone. The star-drenched anti-cosmos glitters behind the figures of Rick Jones and Annihilus. It's a wonderful image from John Buscema. Rick's floating frame really gives you a sense of falling and vertigo. This immediately triggers a flashback of the events of the Kree-Skrull War. Rick Jones only has a moment, though, before he's beset upon by the living death. But from nowhere, a bedeviling bolt from Rick's mind hurtles Annihilus away and leaves Rick floating helplessly. Back in the Andromeda Galaxy, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch are buying Mark time to use the Omniwave, thrashing Skrull guards left and right. Anel uses this time to, once again, attempt to convince her father to stay his hand, but Emperor Dorek will not listen. Captain Marvell realizes that trying to contact Rick Jones has hurtled him into the negative zone and views the Omniwave as too dangerous, and so destroys the second one just like the first, sealing the trio's fate. Rick continues to hurtle through the negative zone, but manages to escape through a portal that Annihilus couldn't get through, and returns to the Supreme Intelligence, who declares that it's time to prove the cosmic birthright of humanity, for its own machinations are about to be discovered. Ronan, the public accuser, is sending soldiers to kill Rick and the Intelligence. Time is about to run out, and so the Supreme Intelligence talks Rick through summoning Golden Age Marvel heroes? Indeed, there's a huge explosion as, quote, Suddenly, as warlike Athena must have burst one day from the immortal mind of Zeus, unquote, Rick manifests a small empowered army to defeat Ronan and his foot soldiers. There really isn't any context for the sequence as 1940s characters bash their way through a horde of hooligans. There hasn't been any setup for this twist, and it really comes out of left field. It's short-lived, too. In no time at all, the heroes just fade away into nothingness as Rick Jones charges up his next act of pure hand wavium. Indeed, Rick waves his hand and freezes every scroll and Kree across the universe. This saves the Avengers in their fight against the Skrull Armada, as well as saves Rick himself. But the Supreme Intelligence has something else to show him. G.W. Craddock was a scroll all along. He's been whipping up anti-alien fervor, so his own crowd just tears him limb from limb. Rick is horrified at this, but the intelligence assures him that he's loaded his own death weapon. Rick just pointed it at the correct target. Apparently, all of this is due to the supreme intelligence using the Omniwave to unleash some still dormant power in humanity, which is still evolving and will eventually overtake both the Kree and the Skrull. It didn't have to be Rick. Any human thus exposed to the Omniwave would have done just fine. It's all too much for Rick. The strain of holding three galaxies minimum of Kree and Skrulls combined with the reveal, and he's out like a light. The Supreme Intelligence is stunned for but a moment, then teleports in the Avengers. Rick is dying, and the only one who can save him is Captain Marvell, who will have to give his full life force for this task. We get a few moments of Captain Marvel mulling it over. Surprisingly, he thinks of Anel and thinks about how she will be regent, and hoped she would become even more. This is important. While being just a throwaway line, this right here forms the entire basis for the events of the present Empire crossover event. Just one sentence? That's it? Yeah, well, it's easy to fill in the blanks. Marvel's captivity lasted quite a while. 
They grew close in that time. He's out here throwing it all away to resurrect Rick stinking Jones. The Supreme Intelligence teleports them all back to Earth, and that's it. They find the human H.W. Craddock, who clears the Avengers of all charges, and that's it. The story just peters out. Man, it's a it's a disappointing end to a story. It just it just fizzles out like that. Yeah, so we get this Deus Ex Machina that like has no like foreshadowing really uh and it ends on an anticlimax of things were happening there was conflict then rick jones waved his hand and all of the conflicts were solved it also would have been nice to see the actual heroes in the story the you know the vision thor captain america iron man it would have been nice to see them actually resolving this a little bit more and like you like you said you know the the rick jones deus ex machina being either non-existent or a much smaller part yeah and also if you look at the spacing and timing there's a really big problem where the supreme intelligence just teleports everyone to him and then from there teleports them all anywhere else he needs to be and then teleports them back yeah it's it just a lot of it just is very clunky and doesn't work and then there's also the part of the problem where it's called the Cree scroll war and neither group we see actually aggressing upon each other instead they are both aggressing upon human proxies for all due intents and purposes also there's the part where we get vision absolutely not saving wanda after all of that and it just going away solving itself and you know captain marvel is not the one who overthrows ronin and reestablishes the kree rule of law there's so many plot threads here that had such potential for very cool tie-up and cool weaving into future stories where they just hacked them off at the last second and left them fizzled out there. It's disappointing. So I'm definitely like kind of curious about going and reading the second Kree Scroll War. Uh, it's not currently available on Marvel Unlimited now, or nor I believe is it collected, so it's similarly not on Comixology. It's kind of this weird dead spot um, that I just hope they get around to filling sometime because I get the feeling it's going to have more actual Kree versus scrolling. This was a, a very, like individual comics of individuals doing individual things and it did not feel like a war effort at all yeah definitely it also felt like it was a a way to try to push rick jones a lot more and for reasons i can't even explain yeah i don't get the rick jones thing here so i understand on some level right like there's this Consistent thing that we see where Rick Jones is frequently saying the thing that the reader is thinking, or he is literally acting out 
being a reader of comics. So Rick Jones likes comics. Rick Jones reads comics just like you. And Rick Jones likes the old comics. And so when he's down, and you know, and the, the situation is dire, he summons those classic 1940s Golden Age heroes, which also kind of echoes some of what Ben Grimm was saying in the courtroom, where he was like, we don't need heroes like these new heroes. I don't really know if that's the kind of themes that Roy Thomas was going for here, but it kind of seems like it, and I gotta say that's like not really a great look for like being the 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 one writing the book about the Silver Age characters, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, if you want to read the issues we've covered over this three-part series, you can question your life choices and reevaluate them. Or you can find them collected in Kree Scroll War starring the Avengers, a 1983 reprint, Avengers United 39 and 40, which collect 92 to 97, Essential Avengers Volume 4, and Marvel Masterworks Avengers number 10. If you would like to know more, uh, from this point, Captain Marvel gets his ongoing back and is still bonded to Rick Jones. As a friend of prison stinking uh yeah the captain marvel gets another couple more years of his own ongoing from this point so we'll be covering that um you know it, it's interesting because i think that we're actually going to be covering the majority of captain marvel on volume one on this podcast until mar dies so i guess there's that to look forward to we probably actually won't be covering his death since it's not a cosmic story we definitely need to cover it, though. I guess. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, Thor has more cosmic stories immediately after this, and we're going to be getting to those uh, probably next episode. Uh, Iron Man and Cap don't really do space, quote-unquote, until it's the 1980s. Uh, Anel will die in Fantastic Four 257. That's the next time we see her. Ronan comes back a little later in the Captain Marvel that we'll be covering, but then he takes a break until the 1980s and starts showing up in Volume 3 of Silver Surfer. Then the he'll cameo again in that same series uh, around number 25. The Inhumans are just a few years from their first ongoing uh, but we are very unlikely to cover more than um, about a three to five issue run on that book that uh, really strongly concerns the Cree. You can reach us with questions or comments online at Artifacts of I on Twitter and at Artifacts of Infinity at gmail.com. If sacred places are spared the ravages of war that make all places sacred, and if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war, then make all peoples holy. This has been Artifacts of Infinity. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Everett. And we will see you in the infinite cosmos. Infinite cosmos.